And welcome back once again to the Endurance Hour Podcast, episode 401. Back alongside Kona coach Wendy Mater Dave Erickson here. I know you're Kona coach, at least that's what I named you, but now that Kona is not going to be Kona as we know it, should we stick with that Kona coach? Because I guess that's your foundation of being a, I don't know how many uh, Konas, 10 or 11 Konas for you? I think 21 yes. total, right? 21 total, 10 or 11 Konas for me. Well, okay. yeah. I mean, okay. I, I like I like how it sounds, Kona Coach Wendy, and I still yeah. coach athletes who are going to Kona. Okay. Well, then we'll, we'll stick with it. It still counts. All right. Uh, good to have uh, Wendy back. And uh, we got some feedback to kick off this episode. Then we'll go into some questions like we have been doing for the last, uh, I don't know, 100 podcasts or so. Uh, first off is feedback from Susan. She says, I've been enjoying the podcast. Very timely topics that you and Dave chat about. Uh, this feedback for from Eric. Go ahead and read that one from Eric. Um. I thought your beginner Ironman program was great. For the first timer, it was helpful as videos covered really great information. It was nice to have a plan and simply follow it. Very busy with work and the plan made the training easier to manage. I have no dislikes of your program or the experience. Thank you, Eric. Very specific. Was he following some questions on like, he answered this, this, he talked about the videos inside the program, uh, good to follow, no dislikes. Which is no, a questionnaire you sent him? No, so no, it wasn't even a questionnaire. So whenever someone purchases a program, if they leave their email address, I'll reach out to them and I'll say thank you for purchasing the program. Be sure to describe or um, subscribe to the Endurance Hour podcast and join our T2 Endurance group. And then I, when I remember, because I try to save these, I'll go back and say, oh, this person purchased our program like six months ago. They must be done with their race. So I just do a simple email, you know, how did the race go? Um, any feedback, any constructive feedback about the program is appreciated. I don't okay. even ask questions. I just ask for feedback. So we've been getting feedback. Nice. Well, congratulations, Eric. Uh, beginner Ironman program. Love to know which one you did, though. That'd be, uh, do you recall Eric's uh, Ironman? I think it was just the regular 16-week beginner Ironman program. Not the, not a course specific program. Do you know which one he did? Which Ironman? Oh, um, was it real recent? Coeur d'Alene, maybe? No, this was from this is from like two months ago. Okay. I don't remember. Okay. M maybe uh, maybe it was like a Texas early early spring. Mm. Chris had some feedback for for us uh, regarding the half Ironman. Hey Wendy, I did it. I completed my first 70.3 in Happy Valley, Pennsylvania, which took place probably three weeks ago. I felt great on the swim, wished I have could have gone faster on the bike. The hills were no joke, and I had fresh legs until about mile 10 of the run. I finished with a smile and lots of gratitude. Thank you for the plan. Can't wait to start planning for next year. So, yeah, huge congratulations to Chris. I actually personally coached some athletes for that event, and they said the same thing. The hills were no joke. <laughs> in Happy Valley, Pennsylvania. And it also downpoured, depending oh. on how long you were out on the course, it downpoured during the run portion. So thankfully, they, they were safe on the bike and it wasn't wet. Fresh legs until mile 10. How many times have you heard that one? Until mile 10. <laughs> until mile 10. And again, you could be, you know, you never know. You never know what's going to happen race day. You could be really fit and confident and, and feel like the most prepared you've ever been. But things happen race day the, out of your control. So um, that's pretty common, even for the elite athletes to feel fresh until mile 10. Yeah. Time for some questions, some specific questions that, uh, I mean, coach Wendy can answer for you. This from Gabrielle, I'm doing an Arizona 70.3 currently swimming uh, a 250 or three minute pace 
per hundred. A try girl yesterday told me that if I don't get down to 210, I won't make the cutoff on race day. Any tips? And I know Wendy's going to say leg drag or body position will be one of the key things on dropping that hundred pace. What do you say? Exactly. So Gabriel reached out to me on Facebook Messenger. We're, we're one of the same groups together. And I he, I had him send me a swim video for analysis. But when any someone is over a two minute per hundred swimmer, generally they have to reduce drag before they can increase propulsion. So ba- again, based on the video, um, it was apparent and I could show him and explain to him the body drag and what could be causing it. Usually it's a breathing Um, mechanics of breathing due to lifting their head because they're not exhaling or inhaling the time of it's wrong as well as um, finding balance he would he had a split kick he was what I call dropping his arm before he was done inhaling and usually you want to extend that arm when you inhale so that's your balance point so I gave him um, a few tips um, and tricks, you know, he was, he was swimming in like some odd length pool, like a 15 year pool in his backyard or something. And he told me he does have access to a 25 meter pool that he tries to train in. So I sent him some feedback and he is working on his breathing and body balance and trying to reduce that drag. And regarding his, his friend or whoever told him that he has to maintain a 210 per hundred pace to complete a 1.2 mile swim in Tempe town Lake. That's where he's doing a 70.3. Um, that's absolutely false. And so in order to complete a 1.2 mile swim under the cutoff, which is an hour and 10 minutes, I, I should have looked up the exact time, but it, it is around a three minute per hundred um, effort. We, we talked about this on a previous podcast question a while ago, and he will also be wearing a wetsuit in Tempe Town Lake. So that's going to help reduce the drag, but it's definitely, you don't want to always rely on that wetsuit. You want to be comfortable and confident before you, you jump into the open water with the wetsuit on. And so, um, I'm not really sure why she told him that, but I I wanted to bring this question up because that was just simply false information. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you can hold a 210 per hundred pace for 1.2 mile swim, you're probably going to finish in, you know, right around that 45, 50 minutes, um, plenty of time to beat the cutoff. So I wanted to kind of discuss that on the podcast. It looks like, as I found a chart here from trynewbies.com on a, the swim distance, swim pace chart for the half Ironman 1.2 miles, it says a three minute pace is 103 total time. Right. Whereas a two minute pace will get you done in 42 minutes. And then if you're, you know, a very strong swimmer, if you want 130, you're about 3140. But yeah, you got plenty of time. I don't know that 210 is maybe just a little, little kick in the pants motivation because that would take you at 46 minutes. Maybe they're saying that wouldn't break uh, 45 minutes. Maybe that was the person's thinking, oh, mile, you know, half half Ironman swim. Oh, I got to do it in 45 minutes. You won't make it at 210. Anyhow. Well, and again, it goes back to getting your advice on social media, Facebook groups, um, or other social media platforms, understanding that never, not, not everyone is an expert. And so if you're a newbie and you really just never really thought about your pace per hundred in order to complete a 1.2 mile swim under the 110 cutoff, that could be very intimidating and create a lot of anxiety. If you're like, oh my gosh, I have to drop almost a minute per hundred pace just to 
finish under the cutoff, that could cause a lot of stress and anxiety. So I'm really glad he told me that as an expert, I could give him the right information and feedback. Good question. This question from Matt, it's a little bit of a long question. There's going to be a lot of uh, good information in this when I give you our answers. Uh, one thing I've been thinking about, not obsessing over, is the mechanical po possibilities on the bike. I was out last week, did a 100-miler, and had two flats. I have a relatively new tri-bike with electronic gears and a carbon frame. The tires are 25-inch and are much harder to change than my road bike. I used the CO2 cartridge on one and blew up the second tire. On race day, I have a small pump I can carry. I guess if anything happens, all I can do is deal with it. If I get a flat, work to fix it, and if the crews come around, then great. I think phones are prohibited, so is it a chance is so is it just chance if there's a bike crew? Also, do I carry cash in the event I have an issue? Do they get paid as if I want to tip them or not? So uh can I break this down from Matt? coach? Yeah. And I really, I really enjoy this question because then I get to share my experiences. Um, so number one, I think the attitude of, you know, yes, you just have to deal with the mechanical that's out there. It's part of the deal that might happen, but you can prepare as best you can. Like you had two flats in training, you can practice changing them more, um, maybe get different tires. Some there's certain tires, um, tubes, you could go tubeless. You may need a whole new wheel set for that. Um, so there, there are some options. I would talk to a professional at a bike store, um, a mechanic, and, and they can kind of help you with that. As far as um, is there a mechanical crew on the course, if you're doing a World Triathlon Corporation event, a WTC event, they do have mechanics support on the course. And no, you don't have to carry cash as they may bill you. So when I broke a chain at mile 42 at Ironman Coeur d'Alene in 2008, I waited for about 10 minutes until the bike maintenance showed up. Thankfully, before that, the race official radioed them to come rescue me. They quickly changed my chain and they took my bib number and they actually sent me a bill in the mail that I gladly paid because they allowed me to finish the race. I don't know if all mechanics are like that or if mine was a special case because it was a chain and those could be more expensive than just changing a tube out. And at the same time, you don't want to rely on that mechanical support because they could be helping someone else when you are in distress and it might take a long time. So if you're battling a bike cutoff, you want to move as quickly as possible and try to repair the mechanical yourself, whatever it is, or possibly if you're next to an aid station and you might be able to just walk back to an aid station if you're out on that bike course. One thing that came to mind is if you had a couple of flats during a, a long ride, maybe check the quality of your tire, not the tube, but the tire. Uh, and yeah, good point. there's so many different factors, whether it's the tire is, you know, have some, a worn spot. Did you use it on the trainer prior to going out? How uh -huh. new are those tires? Where are you riding or know what kind of shoulder you're on and what the potential is if you're, you know, there's, it's random. I know it's so random. You get a tack or you get a staple of some kind or it just a shard of glass. It could be almost anything. And it's like, oh, I've had that happen within a short period of time. Had to call my wife because I was out of, t I had two tubes. I was out. It's like, I, I can't make it any further and I'm, I'm still five miles away. So, so check your tire quality and yeah, carry, carry double. I mean, especially for a race, 
uh, take no chances. This you've put so much time and money into your race to get there. Um, carry as much as possible if you can't. Uh, uh, a pump, sure, why not? If you can store it okay and you don't mind about the weight gain and um, your time necessarily, you just want to finish your race. Great. And I think yeah, phones are probably prohibited. Um, they are. I was just going to suggest make sure you read the rule book. Um, yeah. It sounds like you're doing an Ironman because you rode 100 miles. Yep. So you're either doing a 70.3 or 140.6. Um, most of them are World Triathlon Corporation. So they have separate rules than maybe a local race um, company venue. So just check out the rules for a WTC event. Phones are prohibited. And, you know, it'll say in the guide if there is bike maintenance and kind of where they're going to be located on the course. I can't imagine pulling your phone out while you're riding, though. I mean, let's say you have it on your on your body somewhere or in a bag. I don't know if they're going to check you for it, but there's really no need to have that on you. Hey, you know, if you have an Apple Watch, that's one way you, someone can communicate with you. Or if you're so brave and bold to try to text somebody from your Apple Watch because you got the, those kind of watches. But anyhow. Well, and I want to I want to actually just thought of another story in uh, Iron Man Chattanooga 2018. My shifter broke. And so my gearing, my, my bike automatically put me in the biggest gear. And so in order for me to ride that course, I had to get off my bike and, and try to put it from the, the big chain in front to the small yeah. chain. But in back, it was stuck on the biggest gear. So riding those rollers were really difficult. And so I had thought about stopping at an aid station to see, but, but the aid stations I passed by didn't have any bike mechanical support. And I, in hindsight, I'm wondering if I would have stopped at an aid station, could they have radioed someone, me mm -hmm. to, to come fix my shifter? I don't yeah. even know how long that would have taken them to do in the moment. So I just dealt with it. And in the end, um, it slowed me down a lot and it caused a lot of back pain and leg pain and probably added, you know, at least 20 minutes or more. I had about I think 30 to, I think I had 40 more miles left. So it did add 20 to 30 minutes on that bike just due to how I have to ride with that shifting problem. So that's something, again, something to consider getting to the aid station if you can still, and then possibly stopping and asking where the mechanics are. That reminds me of two different scenarios. One, my wife was doing an Olympic triathlon. I think it was uh -huh. her first. And I went with her and I, my whole plan was to go with her every stretch of it. So I swam with her bike with her and ran with her and oh, nice. I didn't charge my di2 um, shifters I was I was in the easiest gear the whole time uh -huh. for the Olympic and that was frustrating because I'm spinning you know in certain sections where it's like I do my best to catch up with her and I'll catch up with you but after that it's like I can't go any faster than this yeah. easiest gear the second one was I went to a sprint by my by myself and my shifters was dead and I forget this was a different scenario I don't know why I've had it happened twice, but it was stuck in the biggest gear. And this is before the Olympic with my wife. So I didn't know, but I didn't realize about the dead battery issue and yeah. couldn't force it over. So I had a mechanic help me and somehow they were able to line it up. It was, it was the biggest gear for the whole thing. And so that was hard, uh, but at least I was able to go fast as yeah. opposed to having the easiest gear and having to go small. But fortunately the, the situation uh, I wasn't worried about time with the Olympic and I was worried about time with the, the sprint, but it was just one of those things like, are you serious? Get to the race. And my battery was dead because I didn't charge it the night before. Just one of those things you forget. It's like, ah, yeah. what? Charging my bike battery. 
Never again. And and that's one reason I don't have those. I don't have DI2. Because <laughs> I would be one that wouldn't want to deal with charging it. This question is from Sam. I'm training for my first 70.3. And despite starting my runs at 7 a.m., the humidity is very draining. And I'm starting... I'm considering doing a run-walk ratio during my long runs in case I need to need to on race day. What are your thoughts about a ratio and thoughts on running on the treadmill for 10-plus mile runs? Coach? So, again, great question. I think this time of year we're in July, and most people are, are battling the heat. Some people can tolerate it more than others. And I think it's not only the temperature, the exact temperature that you're dealing with, but it's more the humidity that could be draining depending on where you live. So um, I think a run-walk ratio is great if you plan on doing that during the race, regardless of temperature. It's definitely beneficial to train that way and get your body used to walking because I wouldn't be used to walking, you know, cause I'm, I'm more of a runner and my hips and things used to get tired when I would try walking. So something you want to train with, I think if, you know, looking ahead at the venue you plan to race at, making sure you kind of know generally what are the average temperatures and humidity based on where you're going to race in will help determine how you approach your training. If, if the heat is on now in July, but you're not racing until, let's say, like September or October, it's it's the heat's not going to be there, depending on where you're going to. But more, more chances are high, you're, the humidity is not going to be quite as high. So for now, every now and then, try to do like some shorter runs to, to get acclimated to the heat. And if it's just unbearable, yeah, I mean, I think if, if you can run on the treadmill, it's good mental training. It's, it's kind of boring, but if you run at a, a pace that you wouldn't generally be running outside indoors and you're doing that specifically to stay out of the heat, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, someone like me, I've done it. I've done marathons on the treadmill. So I'm someone that's saying it's not going to hurt you. It just really depends on how acclimated you need to be before race day. And also going, um, hitting like a trail because most trails are going to be, um, shaded with trees. And so that's another way to kind of do your long run outside, but get out of the heat. That method in itself is a good idea. Anyway, one thing comes to mind is just, uh, maintaining a heart rate or making sure your heart rate doesn't get too high. If you Mm -hmm. practice the run walk ratio, you can save yourself. Uh, there's a lot of wear and tear issues as well. I mean, I just typed up here, you know, is the run walk method effective and it allows you to maintain pace more effectively with less, less risk of muscle fatigue and bonking than an all out run approach. But when you're trying to work on your heart rate or at least stay within a certain zone, that can be a good technique. Go up Mm -hmm. to a point, bring your heart rate back down, get back to that point, come back down. And that way you train your heart to work efficiently at a certain level, a certain uh, max you know, a certain level of your heart rate. Yeah. And that, you know, a couple things come to mind is I, I coach a lot of athletes who will, you know, they come from like following a Jeff Galloway running program. So Jeff Galloway has on his website, if you're going to be running, it's more fully marathon running. If your marathon pace is four hours, five hours, six hours, seven hours, he actually subscribe prescribes certain run walk ratios to still meet your time goal for that marathon. Um, a lot of athletes I coach do a four to one ratio. I always suggest anyways is when you're racing, try to run to the aid station and then just always plan to walk the aid station, whether it's 
15, 20, 30 seconds or more. And then as soon as you exit the aid station, start running again. That's mm-hmm. something you can kind of plan ahead of time as well as practice and training. If you're an 11 minute mile pace, you run 11 minutes and then maybe walk a minute or something like that. So there's just a lot of different ratios you could do. A lot of it just depends on your speed. But like Dave, you had already mentioned, it allows you to keep those walk breaks, allow you to keep a, a stronger running pace going. Yeah, that was something I used in one of my Arizona races years ago was uh, to help keep the heart rate down and not overheat or not burn myself out too quickly is because it was hot that I would go to the aid station at a certain heart rate. And once it started going over a certain number, I slowed down on purpose. That way mm-hmm. I can maintain efficiency throughout the race and not like, oh, now I'm going to be cramping or now the lactic acid is going to mm-hmm. build up because I'm going too hard. Uh, that allows me to come back down and then get back up to it. And gives me a chance to take a little breather and it just uh, it makes it a little, it makes it a little easier and and you can kind of go a little better that way my experience yeah so again it depends on the distance you're running and, and one thing about heart rate is you could be running at a very comfortable lower rate of perceived effort and your heart rate could be high because of the heat and so yes. that just because your heart rate's really high let's say in your threshold or anaerobic threshold zone doesn't necessarily mean that you may be running there. So you really want to pay attention to how you're feeling at certain heart rates. And of course, if you have heart issues, talk to your doctor and and, and make sure you're managing your heart rate based on any heart condition you have. I'll bounce it back to a swim question from uh, Shelly here. I'm racing Ironman Lake Placid. It's a two loop swim. I'll probably enter the water only shortly before the fastest swimmers begin their second loop. How much chaos do I have to expect compared to a one loop course? Great question. So Lake Placid happens to take place this weekend. I've done the race twice. I am one of those faster swimmers and I've done other loop swims. And I find as a swimmer, the person that's going around one loop while the other people are just starting the loop, I think we have a lot more chaos Um, this has happened to me in Ironman, Florida. I was finished my one loop and some people were just starting. This happens in Lake Placid. This happened at another race I did in, um, Kansas. And so I think you as the swimmer going in the water as a faster swimmers are coming by, I think you're going to experience less chaos because you have a little bit more control because you can see us coming. We don't see you necessarily getting in the water until the bodies of, of swimmers are in the water right in front of us. And you're going slower than we are. So sometimes we have that as, just as much frustration hmm. trying to maintain our speed that we have to maneuver around other athletes who are just starting. I think the thing I'd say is that, you know, early on, I'm a, sw- I'm a slow swimmer. Just start a little wider, you know, keep it. Exactly. If you're a, you know, you breathe out of your left-hand side, which is what the case would be here with the buoys on your left in Lake Placid, uh, just go a little wider. You'll see everyone on your left. If you breathe left or bilateral uh, breathing, you'll see people and just kind of watch where they are. And you can kind of guide yourself at the same time. Just swim along your way, stay wide. You'll have cleaner water to swim in and it won't be as chaotic. And you can kind of take that approach with almost any swim. Whether you slow, start slower or start wider, whatever. I mean, that's, I mean, slower with the 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 rolling start. Don't go in the, the first eight bodies deep. You know, mm-hmm. take a take a break, get in, get your rhythm, and just do your swim. But yeah, they're, they're, I can see the challenges that you're probably um, anticipating. Right, and one thing to point out in Lake Placid is it's it's called Mirror Lake for a reason, and so there's a um, a rope that guides you 
um, along the swim course. So everyone is going to be fighting for position to be swimming over that rope. So just keep that, in, just keep that in mind. If there's a yeah. cluster of swimmers, it's all because we, we just want to mm-hmm. stay right over that rope. I, I, I've, I've, I've had that experience once and I think the race no longer exists. Uh, Lake Stevens in uh, North Washington, Washington state, they had a very clear line and that was my fastest uh-huh. swim ever because of that line. I was able to have a, a cleaner line watching uh-huh. that line underwater and was great. Uh, that's so helpful besides just, you know, being able to see the buoys, but yeah, it's nice to be able to see the line. You don't have to be directly over it to see it. Plus, you just see where the bodies are. Uh, a couple more things here. Uh, this from Sarah. I would love to hear what you and Dave think are the essentials for a good race day experience and share what a bad race day experience looks like for you. So these are personal reflections. Coach, go first. So a good race experience for me, and I've been doing this for 30 years, probably the first 10 or 15 years, I had still no experience or knowledge how to execute a good race. And now I do. So just having a a race execution plan of your effort or pace or power, how, whatever you're going to follow to manage your intensity guidelines, heart rate comes to mind, as well as a nutrition um, plan how often are you going to eat, how much you're going to eat when you do eat, as well as hydrate. That usually leads to my best performances. And then on the other end of, of what I would describe as a bad race is when I know after the fact that I lost track of my race plan, I went too hard on the bike than I really should have. And this is all based on probably the first 15 years when I really didn't, I didn't have any plans at all. I would just race as hard as I could. But there are some years that I can look back on, especially like an Ironman, where I would just hammer the bike and I'd get off and I have dead legs on the run. And I'm like, why did I go so hard on the bike? What was I trying to prove? And so through those learning experiences of not executing a race effectively, I've learned how to execute races effectively. And my good races aren't necessarily my personal best records from a time standpoint. They're generally how well did I execute my race based on my current fitness and how I plan to do it is successful to me. I think my good race day experience is based on the preparation up before the day. If I go in with the least amount of distractions, stress, mm-hmm. calmness, the race day takes care of itself. And I'm sad to say I've only had a few of those to where I go into it feeling good, feeling positive. And mm-hmm. it's that uh, that attitude going into the race, which makes the race day experience, like you said, it has nothing to do with the time. If I felt good about leading into it and then going through the days like, oh, I feel good. I want to feel good. It doesn't have to be feeling fast. It's got to feel good. Weather yeah. sometimes, unfortunately, is is a, a factor that makes me feel good. If it's hot, it's stressful. If it's cold, I don't mind. But if it's hot, it's, it's stressful. Uh, the second thing that makes a good day race experience for me is, um, I guess, those personal battles of pushing myself and seeing if I can. And then when I do, I feel like I won. And I, yeah. I remember this after is a little two years ago or so I had my, my minor knee surgery where I had some cartilage stuff cleaned up 
And I wanted to see if I could push myself on the run. My knee was healthy enough, but I wanted to see if I could push and see where that line was. And I found it and I went past it and I felt awesome because I went further than my previous experience told me I could. It's like, oh, if I average this pace, what happens if I go a little harder and hold that pace? How long can I hold that pace? I did it. And that momentum of positivity um, built on itself. It's like, mm-hmm. I can do it. Oh, you can. I know I can. Can you? And you did. And I did it again. It's like, okay, I, this is a, uh, so it was an Olympic. And so the the run got faster. I, I negative split of this run after a bike, after a swim. It's like, yes, that's what I want to try to do. And what that's, I just remember that feeling good about the race day. It wasn't time because I'd done that race a number of times, didn't have a fast time, mm-hmm. but it was like, yes, I, I thought I, 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 I went somewhere where I hadn't been before and I, I got there. That was my good, the bad race experiences is like you said, going too hard, um, pushing, not being, being, not following the plan, thinking I could do something I, I hadn't yes. done before, you know? Yes. That has always backfired on me, but I want to, I want to, uh, you know, to your point, when I'm having a, when I have a good race, it's cause I'm having a good run and I'm feeling good on the run, whether it's a sprint, Olympic, half or full Ironman distance race. When I'm running well, the race is totally successful. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's when you want to feel the best. Yeah. That's the end. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm always <laughs> looking forward to the bike when I'm swimming. Cause I, I just swimming is like, I, I can't wait for the bike. That's why I just right. wanna, and when I'm on the bike, it's like, oh, I made it to the bike. Swims over. Yeah. Let's let's have a good bike. Yeah. And then let's let's pace ourselves on the bike to have a good run mm-hmm. and stay within ourselves on the bike. That's that's my that's my thinking. Get out of the swim. Once the guy goes off, get out of the swim. Let's have a strong, solid bike. That way we're fresh enough to have a um, consistent run. Yep. Good question, Sarah. Thanks for the uh, trip down memory lane. Uh, from Logan, I did my first triathlon, a sprint last year this year i'm training for augusta 70.3 quite the jump and i'm considering an iron man in 2024 how do you know you are ready to train for an iron man from logan well i'm going to start by saying i tell athletes doing their first iron man you never know how prepared you are until you cross the finish line so how do you know when you're ready to train you know i think number one if you have a strong why that keeps you motivated if you have the support from friends and family that keeps you motivated, if you, again, going back to the why and the desire, I think that's when you know you're ready. Now, on top of that, if you're someone who is battling the cutoffs, like let's say you are an eight to an eight and a half hour, 70.3 athlete, that's basically battling the cutoff for a 70.3 Maybe you want to give yourself more experience racing 70.3s so you're finishing those faster before you tackle an Ironman. That doesn't mean, you know, 8 eight plus 8 doesn't mean you're going to do a 16-hour Ironman, but you are going to be battling the Ironman cutoff if you are battling a 70.3 cutoff. So you do have to be able to make those cutoffs in an Ironman, which is a 220, um, 2 hours and 20 minutes for 2.4-mile swim. I believe it's like an eight and a half hours to complete the bike. So you have 10 hours total or 10 and a half hours total between the swim and bike combined. And then you have 17 hours to complete the event. 
that that'll give you a little more confidence that you're ready to train for an Ironman because you 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 want to go into it. You want to do your first one and finish under that cutoff. I'm focusing on the question: How do you know when you are ready to train? I don't know if you if you just you just it's it's a commitment that's before you're it's not about training it's it's the commitment to train knowing that how long this this uh this journey is going to be because it's not just about training you have to have discipline to train the entire time and motivation will wane throughout the week throughout the months maintaining discipline how do you know if you're ready to train for it well you just make a commitment and if that why is strong enough commit to the act and the training will take care of itself then you just have to be disciplined each time mm-hmm. and know it's not a, it's a, not a sprint. It's a marathon. It really is. It's a, a big chunk that you just have to slowly chip away at and not look at the big picture, but look at training blocks. Like we organize all of our training plans. They're in blocks mm-hmm. for a reason. You got to take it into bite-sized pieces because that's 16 weeks, 16, no big deal. That's four months. You know, these are <laughs> big blocks. It's like, Four months doesn't seem like a long way, but then you start doing the training and then you realize you may may or not realize, oh, I'm not fit enough to be at this pace. Oh, crap. Now I don't have enough time to get to that pace. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then I'm going to readjust the plan or readjust my expectations. This is a journey that you have to be committed mm-hmm. to. And that's the hardest part is what if you can commit to it. Great. But if that commitment is on shaky ground. Oh, that's going to be hard. You need to have the support in the background family, friends, spouse, whatever it may be. If they're on board, that support system will help you stay on track. But if you're ready, how do you know when you're ready to train? You just do it. You just train. Right. You just I mean, do there's it. There's no I mean, ready for 16 weeks. You're not ready right now. Right. You you really don't know when you're ready until you start the process and you right. and, and enjoying the process is so important. You have to, you know, enjoy the process, which you're not going to know if you enjoy it until you take that first step. Yeah. So, you know, I know athletes who an Ironman distance race is their first triathlon. They're the go big or go home. You know, why, why wouldn't I want to do an Ironman? Well, because there's a lot involved in training for an Ironman, but they, but they can do it because they have that mindset, they have that discipline and they're committed and they have a strong why to doing it. So everyone's a little bit different. I wouldn't even consider that Ironman 2024 until you're done with the Augusta 70.3 because this year you're training for the half and you're considering, yeah, you can consider it, but focus on the 70.3 and you're going to build some data from there. And maybe another 70.3 might be a good idea uh, to build into it. Maybe next year you do a half and a full and mm-hmm. maybe get an Ironman plan and then put that 70.3 within that plan. That way you have, you kind of gradually build into it. But I, I, just, I don't know, this is me train for that 70.3 now and then think about the Ironman next because who knows, you may not, you may not want to go a little bit further. You may like, you may think after the day is like, I can do this twice when you really are. I don't think it's a good mindset to think, oh, after you get done with No, I don't think that's a good mindset at all. But but I also want to, because you were talking about the training plans, the difference between, the main difference between a 70.3 plan and a 140.6 plan is the long, typically weekend rides and runs are going to be longer. But usually Monday through Friday is, is comparably about the same volume training load. And it's just those long, long days where you're riding 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 miles not a, you're not riding 100 miles every weekend, but you're there's a phase of training where you you want to be able to ride a couple times, a few times, depending on your schedule, 
get comfortable riding a hundred miles because the first time you ride it, it may go poorly. It may go great. The second time you ride it, you could have the opposite. If you had a great experience, you could have a poor experience. So you want different experiences with training for that distance and that training load volume, um, to, to, to know if you're enjoying it, if you're enjoying the process. You know, it's so, so inspiring when you, you look outside in July or June, July, August, and the weather's great. Hopefully it is where you are and you go, oh God, it'd be fun to go out and do, you know, do something like I'm thinking personally, I'm thinking, ah, it'd be fun to get back out in there. But, you know, things are, you know, it depends on where you are in your life. You know, everyone's in a different, different uh, chapter of their book. It could be full on triathlon mode. Maybe family, maybe kids aren't, you know, a factor. Maybe they are a factor and there's so many different things involved. Wherever your journey is, I, I wish you the best. Yes, so do I. That's going to wrap up our some feedback and some questions this week. Uh, keep them coming. Wendy, how can they send you and submit some questions or topics for next podcast? Um, simple email, t2coachwendy at gmail.com or wendy at t2coaching.com. They go to the same place. You could send me a Facebook message um, question. Also, um, Instagram and as well as the endurance hour now on the endurancehour.com i know this is the end of the podcast so if you're listening great thank you uh if you haven't signed up for the newsletter yet it's real simple it's easy we send out two a week you can get that newsletter by signing up on the endurancehour.com website uh wendy for those still listening if you haven't got the newsletter yet what are those two newsletters and how are they different so on mondays we send out um discount codes to various partners sponsors that we're affiliated with and then on fridays we send out kind of a recap of the podcast if we happen to squeeze one in as well as just articles blogs that i write inspiring articles that i've read that i think is important that i like to include um, within the newsletter as well as a couple of those partner deals yeah some great resources in that friday newsletter and Wendy does a great job. She's been heading that up for, I don't know, the last couple of years. That's all uh, Wendy's craftsmanship there. So sign that up. It's free. Just uh, two a week. One's about discounts and savings on products and services. Other one is a recap with some other um, links to great content. So that's exactly what it is. There's nothing hidden about it. Just a newsletter. Get it from the, the website. So submit those questions, sign up for the newsletter, and we will see you next time. For Wendy Mater, I'm Dave Erickson. Have a great week of training racing or recovery. Adios. Adios. Mm -hmm.